Hi, I'm Mark Rennie. This is Victory Over Sin. Landings were affected by rebels at several places on the Cuban coast, and the rebellion against the dictator was on. Saturday afternoon to you. My name is Mark Rennick. This is Victory Over Sin. Uh, this Victory Over Sin is sponsored by Systemic Change of Idaho. Uh, you know, I found this week uh, as I go forward, and it's been a busy week for me. I hope it's been an exciting one for you. Is that I'm running across people who really don't understand how things work in the legislature. I'm surprised by that. Does anybody take government classes, or do they go to school? What's going on? And I'm always brought back to uh, remember the old schoolhouse rocks on things that are bills and so we're going to do a video here from schoolhouse rock on what is a bill here in a second but legislation that affects those of us who are incarcerated must be passed through the legislature i'm surprised when i'll see people say well there's 10 million dollars coming from this and i said no you have to figure out what's happening and you have to follow this through the legislature so we're working on some support in terms of having somebody come in and be specific in terms of helping us go through it. But I thought for at least for the moment we would give you a little bit of a background, a civics lesson. You know, Victory Over Sin gives civic lessons to all of you out there in the desert and all those people who really don't understand. So with further ado, we're going to go to that classic schoolhouse rock called It's a Bill. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. And I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Well, it's a long, long journey to the capital city. It's a long, long wait while I'm sitting in committee. But I know I'll be a law someday, at least I hope and pray that I will. But today I am still just a bill. Gee, Bill, you certainly have a lot of patience and courage. Well, I got this far. When I started, I wasn't even a bill. I was just an idea. Some folks back home decided they wanted a law passed, so they called their local congressman, and he said, you're right, there ought to be a law. Then he sat down and wrote me out and introduced me to Congress, and I became a bill. And I'll remain a bill until they decide to make me a law. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. And I got as far as Capitol Hill. Well, now I'm stuck in committee and I'll sit here and wait while a few key congressmen discuss and debate whether they should let me be alone. I hope and pray that they will. But today I am still just a bill. Okay, I hope that was helpful. Uh, again, I am so surprised that people don't understand the process. But what we hope to do here through Victor Over Sin and sponsored by Systemic Change of Idaho is really get people involved in the process. We're going to be talking about those things in the future as we go forward. But we need to be involved as citizens to watch how issues that affect us go forward. Uh, and so we're doing that, actually, in terms of uh, what uh, Systemic Change of Idaho is calling a listening forum. And so you need to mark your calendars. It's going to be next Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. It will be in the St. Vincent de Paul food pantry slash feeding area on Overland there. It is what we're looking for are people who have been incarcerated and who have a passion to want to get involved and change sort of the system that's going on. 
Uh, we're going to do this. We've got we've invited over like 450 people on emails. We're getting a strong response from people. But this is something to mark on your calendar. 6 p.m. at the St. Vincent de Paul Food Pantry on Overland. Come by. We're going to feed you dinner. It's billed as a listening forum. And if you go to Systemic Change of Idaho's website, you go to our Facebook page, you'll see that uh, and get uh, get involved with it. But what we're looking for is for you to show up. Even if you have a little bit of interest, and we're going to sit in tables in small groups, we're going to identify issues that uh, you as a person who's either been in the system or knows somebody that's been in the system or has a partner that's been in the system or has a relative that's been in the system that you think we need to address. Some of those issues we've been talking about so far are the ban the box aspect of an application for employment where you have to check a box saying you're a felon. We want that to certainly taken off and make it easier for us. Housing is a major issue. There are other issues, and this forum is really for you to get your involvement as to what those things are as you go forward. So mark your calendars. You, there will be more of these in the future, but this is the first big kickoff one, and we're actually feeding you. We've reached that part of the show where we get to bring in a guest. Now, it seems like I've, we've done eight of these shows now, and I always say I get to bring in this kind of cool person. But today, again, I get to bring in this cool person. I, I'm excited about it. Jorge de, Ver, de Verona, correct? Am I going to do that right? That is correct. That's great. I love the way you talk. <laughs> Explain who you are real briefly, and then I'll kind of say how you and I met. How's about that? Well, I was born in Cuba, and uh, let's say that I did not get along with Fidel Castro. Castro and uh, <laughs> his uh, ideas of how to run a country. <laughs> so I wound up in the United States uh, and uh, studied the electrical engineering, and I lived uh, quite a few places. Started in Florida, then moved over to Salt Lake City. Then we lived in near Philadelphia, mm-hmm. Maine, and finally Idaho, where I've been a resident for the last 28 years. I love this. And uh, Jorge and I are on a are on a um, a conference through the St. Vincent de Paul called the Reentry Conference, and that's where I met you what three and a half years ago or so. Correct. And he serves as vice president, right? Yes, that? that's cool. And he is that stable kind of great voice. I, you know, he's that force in the organization. That I, he's fantastic. You have been doing prison ministry and the Department of Corrections here in Idaho for seventeen years. Seventeen years since the year two thousand. Since the year two thousand. So people who listen to the show out in the desert out there, they're listening to it. They're going to recognize that voice. Hey, I know. You know, he's out here all the time. <laughs> we have a surprising bunch of people who listen to us out in the desert. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. So this is cool. Um, so the story that I keep, I say, man, you know, Jorge, do you know what he, where he was and where he was in Cuba? It's so cool. And nobody knows that story. So we talked a little bit before we went on the air, but you were living in Cuba and your dad saw that things weren't kind of going to be so cool in the 50s, Correct. Late fifties, yes. Late fifties, and so give me a story of how you came and then how you ended up back in Cuba, maybe. Well, uh, in nineteen fifty-seven, um, I spent a year in Ithaca, New York. Finished high school. Why uh, Ithaca, New York, from Cuba? That's that's a good question. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you say, my father place, picked that up. I had nothing Ithaca. to do with that one. <laughs> I mean, it's a beautiful city, but from Cuba to Ithaca, New York, that is right. really, that's a, that's a, that's I found a change. I what, what tough winters were. That's a, exactly, exactly. 
in any case, uh, after that, uh, I applied to several universities, and uh, I settled on uh, Georgia Institute of Technology in Atlanta, Georgia, and started studying mechanical engineering. And uh, about shortly after two years, back in late in 1960, uh, I heard down that in Miami, they were, the CIA was trying to recruit Cubans to go fight Castro. Mm -hmm. So I volunteered, and uh, they sent me over to uh, Guatemala to be trained. And uh, in April 17, 1961, we landed in the Bay of Pigs in Cuba. Uh, that was a disaster militarily because... Uh, well, it's a long story what happened, but basically uh, Kennedy did not support us like he should have, mm -hmm. and we lost. We, we ran out of ammunition, and yep. we were all captured, yep. all 1,400-plus of us, and eventually spent 20 months in Cuban prisons, right. political prisoners, and uh, eventually Castro and Kennedy worked out a deal where Kennedy provided something like $56 million worth of agricultural products and in return got all of us out of Cuba. Yeah. Uh, so, and, so, and you actually mentioned one time before we were in the air about how Castro would come visit you too. Yes. <laughs> and, oh, he, he, he visited us quite a few times. Okay? Yeah. And on one of those occasions <clears throat> he was arguing with one of the guys that says, you know, the United States will never accept what you're trying to propose because you kind of blackmailing them. And he looked at this guy on the eye and says, look, actually he was a personal friend of Castro at one time. Mm -hmm. And he told him point blank, look, I know that Kennedy has a guilty conscience about what happened to you guys, and he's going to negotiate. You let me negotiate, and I promise I'll get you guys out of here in six months. He was off a little bit on the timing, but in the end, he was <laughs> he correct. Was right, right? Yeah. Yes. Yep. He, he was a politician. That is certainly <laughs> for the case. Yeah. So you get ousted, and, and the trade kind of works, and you're back in. Uh, they fly you into Homestead or something like yes, that? Yes. Yeah. We flew into Homestead Air Force Base, and then eventually we were released. And uh, then Kennedy decided to come down and meet all of us at the Orange Bowl station. Mm-hmm. And eventually, while he was there, he made a speech because it so happens that the flag of the unit that we had was called the Brigade 2506 actually was able to be taken out of Cuba by some guys that escaped. And Kennedy made a promise that he would return that flag to a free Havana. Mm -hmm. To which Castro replied the next day, he must be talking about some bar in Havana, or in, I mean, in Miami <laughs> called Free Havana. <laughs> that's great. That's, uh, that's a great story. <laughs> but eventually you end up in Idaho. And I mean, uh, how the perfect backdrop in terms of your capture, et cetera, et cetera, to come up here and then spend so much time in working with uh, people from Idaho Department of Corrections. I mean, that's just a perfect well, transition. Uh, you have such a heart for it anyway, I think. Well, it's kind of a long story, but basically when I was in Miami, I decided I'm going to change my studies to electrical engineering. Okay. So I graduated from the University of Miami with a degree in electrical engineering. Okay. Started working in Palm Bay, Florida with Harris Corporation. 
eventually moved to Salt Lake City with National Semiconductor. Oh, yeah, okay. Then went to work uh, near Philadelphia with uh, a company that no longer exists. And then I went over to Maine to work with First Child Semiconductors mm -hmm. and eventually came to Idaho to work for Micron Technology. Oh, yeah, okay, good. Spent 20 years at Micron, retired from Micron, and now I've been retired for about eight years. Mm -hmm. However, while I was working at Micron, one of my friends there decided that he was going to start a Bible study mm -hmm. at St. John's Cathedral. Mm -hmm. My wife and I joined that because I thought, you know, I've been hearing the things about the Bible and here, there, and there, but I did not have any formal study of the Bible. Right. That got us started, and of course, we very quickly realized that in order to know Christ, you have to know what the Bible says. Uh -huh. How else are you going to know them? Right. Uh, St. Jerome said back in the 4th century that ignorance of the scriptures is ignorance of Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, it becomes quite clear once you study the Bible that there's more to just believe. Christ asks us very clearly, Matthew chapter 25, starting on verse 31, at the second coming, who his friends are, are those that do something for those that are in need, yeah. very clearly. Very clear. And one of the things is, I was in prison, did you visit me? Mm -hmm. It so happens that in the year 2000, we went to a church in at uh, what was it? Oh, Sacred Heart okay. Church, yeah. and Father Jesus Camacho was oh, preaching. God, yeah. He was preaching on the need to serve the people that were in prison. Yeah. Somehow the Holy Spirit got hold of me and That's my good. wife, That's right. and we volunteered. That's cool. That is, that is that even makes the story better. I didn't know that. Jesus Camacho too is was uh, when I was incarcerated. He was. I mean, I'm not Catholic, but boy, when he came to one of the institutions, you know, it was like I would I would go to Catholic service just to see him. He has such an energy, and he still has such an energy. He's down at St. Mary's now, and when we started this conference, he was the spiritual advisor for a while with us. And that was, the best part for me in terms of almost getting out was I got to hang out with Jesus Camacho all the time. <laughs> we used to call him Macho Camacho in prison because he was such a you know he was such a powerhouse and energy. And so that that that's even that makes the story even better. That he was the one that kind of sparked your interest in going inside. That's fantastic. I love that. Yeah, I never regretted that decision. It's probably no. one of the best things that me and my wife have done. And you guys did it together? Yes. Okay. Uh, currently, we go to ISCC, uh -huh. which is called the New Prison. Yeah. I also volunteer on Wednesdays at the yard, mm -hmm. ISCI. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, the rest of history. <laughs> yeah, no, that's and actually too for uh, the people who are listening to in our conferences. It's like sometimes things will get hectic because the conference, uh, the reentry conference. What we do is provide um, support for people who have been recent released within the last ninety days from incarceration. We help them with rent, we help them with bus passes and clothes, et cetera, et cetera, and stuff like that. And we'll get. There's a procedure, and we'll get heated, but every once in a while, you know, you'll look over, and Jorge will just give it. Jorge will say something, like he said here on here, profound, and it kind of just brings you back. And that's, that's what I love about you on that group. It's There is the uh, the tenure, if you will, of doing this for a period of time that gives you some perspective, and that's what I've always loved about you. So that's, that's so cool. That's great. 
So tell me uh, about um, you are a traveled man, too. I love your stories. You've been to Israel. Yes, I have. Yeah. yeah. So tell me one of your favorite Israel stories, kind of, too, because I always I have not been to Israel. It's on my bucket list. And it seems like you really got excited about it. You've been once or how many times you've been? One time. One time. Uh, we actually uh, tour the main sites that had to do with Christ's life. Mm-hmm. It's very emotional because if you know the stories and now you're in the same place right. where he lived, where he <clears throat> preached, where he died, mm-hmm. it becomes very real to you. Mm-hmm. So it livens. When I read the scripture, I can actually visualize the places where he's been. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it's, I strongly urge anyone that can should go to Israel, Israel, yeah. and visit the places where Christ lived and preached. Yeah, you told me, certainly as a young man, that that would be on uh, to-do list. I, I think that's the place I would love to go now. And, and it's just um, having enough money or whatever and time left in your life to get over there. But I think you're right. It's something that's very powerful. And I think there's a few people who have done it that I've kind of watched experience going to Israel. And you were a great one in terms of the pictures and the way you the stories and the slides and stuff like that you came back with. And it was... It was real powerful. I think it helped me think, you know, i got to do that, you know. I keep thinking one of these days something will happen, and I'll run across somebody, and I'll connect back up with somebody. And I would love to do, like, a honeymoon with somebody that you were really in love with uh, and going back over there and experiencing all that. That would be so cool. And the interesting thing is that nowadays, even before you go, you can go into the Internet and get as much information as mm-hmm. you can as to what these places that you're going to visit it makes your business so much more spiritual. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Good. Well, I got that from as you describe it. That is for sure. So tell me, talk about some of the, the adventures and stuff that you've had inside because um, you've been doing it for a lot longer than we have. Something that uh, you can share that everybody else would kind of learn from. I mean, how powerful has it been in your life, et cetera? Well, it kind of, uh, I'll tell you one story. Um, we were celebrating my second son's birthday at one time. He was there with his friends. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, he doesn't happen to be a guy that goes to church. Okay. He's got his own kind of uh, worldly spirituality. However, we're in the uh, restaurant, and there was a young couple nearby. And suddenly the guy comes over, and he starts thanking me for the many times that I visited him while he was incarcerated. Wow. My son and his friends, they just dropped their mouth. Yep. <laughs> they couldn't believe what they were listening. Yeah. And it kind of picks you up when you realize that you're touching people's life. Yep. And I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it happens to me too. I'll do it. You'll help somebody from St. Vincent de Paul. They'll come up to me and say, you don't remember me, but, you know. And that's real powerful, I think. I, I love that how it was a learning tool for you for someone in your life that wasn't that spiritual person, you know. And that, I just love how that sort of happens. God has an interesting way of making this all work in times. It doesn't. Absolutely. It does. My son is at ISCC. And so um, we get through the, the nonprofit that I run, we accept telephone calls from people from anybody that's incarcerated. I, I pay for the calls because it's not expensive. And he calls all the time. And you'll be surprised now that I'll say, he'll say, you know, man, I ran across this guy that knew you, you know. And I hope it's starting to click in that 20-year-old brain of his that this is not the lifestyle that he wants to do on an ongoing basis. Now, one of the most rewarding things you can do as you serve in prison ministry 
is when a guy will come to you and literally tell you point blank, if I wasn't here, I would be dead. Exactly. Okay, and they begin to realize that God is actually doing them a favor by placing them in there so they can have a time to reflect upon what they've done exactly. and what are they going to do with their life from that point on. Yeah. And when they turn around, boy, that's so beautiful. It is. Yeah, that's true. And I think that's, for me, um, I don't know, we've never really spoken about that on the air. For myself, though, when I was incarcerated, I, I did get in trouble at the ISCC. It used to be called ICC. And I was thrown in the hole. And um, for, I want to say this publicly for something I didn't do, by the way. <laughs> I know it's hard to believe, <laughs> but I did not do this, and I was put in the hole and actually found guilty of it. But um, and I was there for like thirty days by myself with the lights on and only two books to read. One they gave me an AA book and they gave me a Bible. But I think it was there in my heart when God said to me, "Mark, I've been trying to get your attention for fifty years," and uh, and that's when. The Bible started to make sense to me. Uh, and then I, I had one more little gift from God, and that was because of that conviction, I got sent to Max. And then at Max, they formed this faith-based program called Hope Community, which we've talked about on the air a little bit. But that's where it started to click for me. And that was in August of 2005. And my life has been just an absolute blessing from that moment in the hole forward. And I think that's what happens when people, you see somebody that comes up to you in the institution and says, I've got it figured out, and I start to see it. And We don't see it enough, you and I, I don't think, in terms of our daily walk, but it's so cool when it really does happen. Yeah, and people need to realize that upwards of 95% of the people that are currently incarcerated are going to come back out <laughs> to true, your community. True. I love that. I love okay. that. Former director Kemp used to say 97%. So I quote him on that. He says 97% of those people are going to get out. They're going to be your neighbors. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So we need to get used to the fact that these guys are coming out. And uh, that's why we at one time got together and decided, yes, we're serving them people inside, we have to do something for the people that come out mm -hmm. because they get the, the state will spend roughly $57 a day to keep a person incarcerated. Mm -hmm. But they hardly spend anything when they come out. And if they come out and they don't have a job, they don't have a future, chances are they're going to reoffend and wind up in prison again. Yeah. So we decided to do something about that. And then we partnered with St. Vincent de Paul and we created this re-entry conference precisely to help people that come out. It's very difficult for somebody who's been incarcerated and has no money, no job, and if they are on probation, they have all kinds of requirements they have to fulfill. They're really overwhelmed. That's Most of them are terrified. And when we visit them, we kind of calm them down Tell them to slow down, take things one day at a time, yep. and provide enough help that gets them started the right way. And I think that's you, you lose to the fact about the reentry conference, and that's fantastic. That's what we've been a part of together for like three and a half years. It's done. It's been tremendously successful in terms of. Uh, I think last year we estimated a thousand people paroled to Region Four. This group saw over 450 of them indirectly, and this is a group of like 20 of us. We become a real family. It's a nice group of people, and uh, we've got a makeup of. It's not. It's not 
it's, it's half probably Catholic. There's there's LDS representation. Mm-hmm. There's um, there's Protestants. Uh, there's regular quote unquote Christians like me. I would say, and uh, it really is a unique blend. We've become a family, and we've really reached out to support this group. And the, the, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that this show. Actually, out of the volunteer and out of the years of work that Jorge and I have been doing, has come the money for Systemic Change of Idaho, which is the which funds this show and who looks at addressing some of these issues on a long-term basis, which are plaguing, let's say, Idaho, because Idaho does not understand all these issues. And so it wouldn't – I mean uh, – it's cool that we got to sit through this for three and a half years, but I, what I'm telling you now is that Jorge helped me do that. And because of that partnership, that family of us, we got recognition on a nationwide basis. We turned some heads in the nation, and so the funding came for systemic change of Idaho. So it's important to note that. I always think people say, oh, that's St. Vincent Paul. They think food bank. They think, you know, whatever. No, it's a little more than that. It's just so, so, so much more than that. And But in the interim, uh, what the interim is, is that systemic change of Idaho is money that was attracted to us via this reentry conference from St. Vincent Paul. And, and the purpose of St. Vincent Paul is not only to help anyone. We don't uh, focus on any particular group. We help people, period. Period. But it's also for our own spiritual growth. Yes. Because one thing that we insist whenever we meet is we pray together because we're trying to, you know, fill ourselves with spirituality based on Christ's teachings. And, and I will tell you, too, that is that is truly what has happened in that group. This this group of people is uh, I'm proud to be associated with. And um, I thank you for coming in today. This is a lot of fun. Um, I really do appreciate Jorge. You're, oh, you've got you're a cool story. Welcome. I just think nobody knew about Jorge, <laughs> so now the world will know about Jorge, and we'll, we'll play this tape over and over again. <laughs> I don't take any credit. The credit belongs to Christ. There you go. You got it. Thank you, Jorge, for this. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today on Victory Over Sin. Uh, if you need to reach us, you can reach out to us at 477-1006. Remember, we got that event coming up on the 8th. Get back to us and show up at uh, 6 p.m. in the offices of, actually, the Food Bank, the Feeding Center at St. Vincent Paul in Overland. If you need information, give us a call. Thank you. We'll see you next Saturday afternoon. Do it too.